Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Best day ever. We are coaches, trainers, retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, but didn't start our careers doing this. Jason worked in public accounting, and I worked in corporate retail until starting our dream business in which we help people from all different industries pursue their best day ever every single day. The goal of this podcast is to interview both each other and other professionals making an impact on the world on how wellness is the fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. This podcast is about teaching people to actively pursue their purpose and how to use self-care to do it. We're here to show you how the best day of our mindset is available to anyone at any time, no matter your circumstance. It's your choice and we're here to encourage you. Have the best day ever. What's up, Live Better squad? Jason Brett and our guest Cynthia Kane here. I am I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, I got your book, How to Communicate Like a Buddhist, recommended to me from Sarah, who came on one of our retreats. I read it, and within 10 minutes, I was on Instagram trying to find you to get you on our podcast, and you're here. So we're excited. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. I love how you found me. Yeah. Um, Sarah. Yeah, Sarah, she's going she's gonna to hear this and be super hyped. And she gave me a question to ask, so I'll, I'll ask that, Sarah. Don't you worry. Um, so, Cynthia, give us, give us the download on, um, on what you do, and then we'll, we'll get into the book, books coming out, and how we can be applying um, your thoughts and, and your strategies to the current situation of the world and beyond. So I help people change the way that they communicate so that they are more present in their conversations, more connected, so that they're more responsive instead of reactive and they're able to really have helpful conversations and um, leave conversations feeling good about the way that they're connecting with people. And I love that. That's, that's really what I, what I help people do. So what are some of the ways um, in which you think that people can do that? And, and I think there's a million different ways in which we can do that. But what would you say are some of the starters? What are some of the first steps we all can take? Because I know that it's very easy to write things down and to read these books. And then it's very difficult to implement um, so give us like a couple easy tips to start and then we'll dive into some more scenarios and, and have some fun with it. Okay. So easy ways to begin. One is to start to think of the purpose of communication and seeing if you can look at it through the lens of helping yourself and other people suffer less. So showing up to your interactions with this want to be helpful and kind and honest. And so really asking yourself before you connect is what I have to say kind, is what I have to say honest, is what I have to say helpful, and is what I have to say necessary can help you align with that purpose of communicating in that way. And another is using the guidelines of the elements of right speech in Buddhism, which are to tell the truth, don't gossip, use helpful language, and don't exaggerate. That's really where where I would start in terms of 
you know, the, the umbrella, and then it becomes more lifestyle experiments that you do. I love that. Have you read The Four Agreements? I have. What are your thoughts on that? Because when I, the, the last section that you set, said, The Four Agreements is a book that we have everybody that comes on one of our retreats read after the retreat. Um, because a lot of the things that you mentioned are part of those agreements. And I think one thing that, two things that I, I pulled away from what you just said, I love, I want to run through come s- some like, specifics of each one of those things you talked about on how to speak and how to communicate. Um, and I think that it's really important. Um, but one of the things that I find from that book is it's just really, it's a really good way. And, and I love it um, to take just like an honest look at yourself and how you're communicating and how you're interacting and um, run through scenarios in your head so that when they present themselves, you are, you're ready. And I think after reading that book, I have just become much more honest with myself about how I treat others and how I treat myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, it's a wonderful book. I think that, um, the, the, it's kind of what you were saying just before in that, how do you take something kind of very abstract and theoretical and bring it down to the ground and be able to implement it into your day to day. And so I think that the concepts in that book are really wonderful. And the work that I help people do is how do you actually, how do you actually embody that? Right. So how do you actually speak in a kind way when you have something truthful and difficult to share? How do you actually, um, use helpful language in moments where all you want to do is lash out at the other person, right? So starting to learn this sense of listening to yourself and being honest with yourself, it's, it's one thing for us to be able to say, okay, be honest, be impeccable with your word. And then the next question automatically pops up is how, how do I do that? Right. And so, so much of this practice um, that, I teach is really the how, the how do you begin to actually talk in, in a way that's aligned with the elements of right speech and aligned with some of the, you know, similar concepts as in the four agreements. Yeah, Cynthia, that was going to be my exact next question. Um, Because I feel like so many of these concepts are just kind of esoteric in nature, like they, they don't have tangible bounds around how you apply those. And because our individual situations are so different and everyone's communication style is different, people who they're speaking to are different, right? It becomes like very hard to translate that across a wide variety of audiences. So my question exactly was going to be, how do you bring that into real life practice? Mm -hmm. And then the back end of that, how do you, how do you measure your progress and how do you reflect on whether it was good or bad and how often do you do that because we talk all day long every so how often I mean maybe that's a personal question for you and maybe that's different when you're coaching like a CEO who's doing a ton of public speaking versus somebody who's like a monk (laughs) not Mm -hmm. doing very much at all right so how do you put that into real life practice for for what you teach and then maybe walk through some of the finer points of that and then also how do you measure and reflect on that yeah. doing a good or a good job or need to improve so the practice itself is really first you begin to 
listen to yourself. So you start to pay attention to the language that you're using that is making you feel constricted, uncomfortable, anxious, fearful, less than in any way, discomfort in any way. You start to pay attention to the language you're using that is not helpful. And then you start to pay attention and you start to listen to the sensations in the body and when you're in interactions that are difficult. So are your hands sweating? Is your heart beating really quickly? Is your stomach feeling like it's in knots? And once you have the sensation, that normally is what then moves you into speaking aligned with whatever that emotion is that's coming up for you, whatever that feeling is. So you're automatically in that moment controlled by the feeling. So the practice there, because this is a practice, the practice is to start to become really aware of the sensations that are happening within the body when you're feeling um, triggered or when you're speaking to yourself in a way that's unhelpful or when someone else is speaking to you and for you to be able to observe it and to be able to say, okay, I see you. I see that emotion coming up. I see my want there to lash out, to get passive aggressive, to shut down, to interrupt. And I'm just going to kind of move you to the side and I'm going to come back to my present moment and I'm going to ask myself silently, what's my, what are my hands doing? What are my feet doing? What's my body doing? And I'm going to look at the person who's in front of me and I'm going to say, here's this person. I want to be helpful to them. I want to be supportive of them. I want to show them that I am listening and that I respect them. So I'm going to remain open while they're speaking to me and listen to what it is that they have to say. And I'm going to choose a different way of interacting, one that is more helpful than hurtful. So first, it really begins with listening to ourselves because that's how we get the cue to either, you know, become friendly with the emotion, label the emotion, but not follow it. First, we have to become aware that we even have the emotion. Um, And so that's the first step. And then the second piece is the listening to the other. And so after you've listened to yourself, then you listen to the other by staying present with them, allowing them to share. And, And then you move into speaking. And speaking is consciously, clearly, and concisely. So you start to really pay more attention to paring your language down, making it very concise, making it really easy for the other person to hear and understand you. Because the minute that something comes in that's a distraction, most people are off on the distraction. They're not in the present moment. And then after the speaking part happens, then it's paying attention to silence. The pauses that you're using maybe in your conversations, can you make it less about punishment, less about, you know, overpowering somebody with silence or power over. And can you create more intimacy with it, open it up more, make it a space for you to be able to reset and come back in and say, okay, I'm starting to say things that aren't helpful. I can see that the other person is defaulting into their reaction of getting passive aggressive or upset or, um, you know, starting to kind of dodge things and and that's really the the practice so it's listening to you listening to others silence speaking 
and it all kind of follows in this loop that continues. But you really have to start with the individual steps first, and then once you get there, it all just becomes kind of one one process. Um, yeah. So when you when you so if you were coaching me through it, you would say, "Okay, Jason, I want you to pay attention first to your language." Then I want you to pay attention to the way that you listen. Yes. And I want you to practice speaking those words more clearly. Then I want you to hone in on using silence properly and then loop that back. Yes. And then the, the thread throughout all of this is meditation. So meditation is really the formal practice. So this practice is what I call intentional communication and it is the formal practice of it is meditation because in meditation you are setting aside time to sit and really notice your distraction, right? Notice all the thoughts that are happening. Once you see you're caught up in the distraction, you come back to your present moment. And so how you are in meditation is exactly how you are in conversation. And so the more you meditate and the more you notice you're caught up and you have a voice that comes in, in the beginning, it can be like, why are you constantly distracted? Why are you not paying attention to the present moment? You need to be paying attention to the present moment. And then soon that, that voice becomes kinder, more friendly, more gentle. And it's almost like, okay, you're distracted again. No problem. Just come on back. Thanks for sharing. Come on back. Right? And that's exactly what we want to start cultivating outside in our conversations when we get distracted when we start shifting into something else, we notice it. We can let it go in the moment very easily, not evaluate it, not judge it, and then come back to our present moment. So we can be, be able to respond. Same thing with the emotion. We see the emotion. We don't judge our emotion. We just allow the emotion to be there and then come back to the present moment and choose the next right action. It is really interesting because you see different personality types reflect that and not even in the way that they talk but like the way that they move how they set up their life conduct their work it's it's like all ADD are all really chill mm -hmm. and it's funny that conversation and words end up becoming a reflection totally of somebody's like overall lifestyle not even of their personality but the way that they organize their entire life is almost organized the same way that they use language very much, yes. And I mean, you you can notice it with the speed at which people talk as well. And so, so much of this practice is to slow down, to slow down the pace of your language so that you can actually begin to become really conscious around how you're choosing to interact with yourself and others. And so when you were talking before about, you know, the measures, right, how do you know um, that it's potentially working. It's really seeing that by you changing the way that you're interacting, you start feeling more confident. You start feeling more calm. There's a lot less fear and a lot less anxiety because you're really able to figure out quite easily now what it is that you want and what is it that you need from certain interactions and situations. And you've worked through the fear that holds us back from actually expressing it. And so you start to see that the way that you're interacting changes other people's responses to you. 
and your whole your whole world kind of opens up differently. And in terms of reflection, it really is, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, it's really important to look back on your interactions and see what went well, what didn't go well, and on the interactions that didn't feel like they went the way that you wanted them to go, to start pinpointing, okay, this is where I got caught up in my emotion. This is where I was speaking from a place that was, you know, judgmental or critical, or this was where I, I was feeling overwhelmed and frustrated. And because of that feeling, it prompted me to say this, right? So that's where you get to go back and you get to kind of pick through to see what could change. And then in the morning, it's really great to set an intention for the day, right? Like we would do for, um, our work or our intention is to, you know, eat well today or to work out. It's the same thing with communication. My intention today is to speak kindly to myself. My intention today is to pause more during my conversations with, you know, my partner. I love this. I think, um, it's, it's something that as I've, as I've continued to meditate more often, like you said, you start to realize the way in which you're talking to yourself is a lot of the ways in which you talk to others. And you start um, the book with a quote from our homeboy Rumi, um, which is, raise your words, not your voice. It is rain that grows flowers, not thunder. And for me, that resonates because um, as we as we dive into conversation, I want to run through some examples. And one example I would love to run through is when you are in a conversation that gets heated. Um, this can be with a spouse. This could be with a partner. This could be with a parent. Uh, this could be in a work conversation where emotions start to rise. And it can be um, a strong emotion that you're um, in an argument over something that can be good, or it could be in an argument where you're, you're butting heads. Um, and I would love for... Um, some ways in which when you start to register that emotion is starting to take over your thought pattern or the words that are coming out of your mouth mouth aren't the ones you want to say or like in that quote, it's not necessarily the words aren't the right way, but the way in which you're saying them, the inflection um, is not how you want to be to be thought of. What are some checkpoints you can do when it's heated? Like when your hands are sweating, when you're starting to scream, when you're starting to talk really fast, what are some checkpoints you can do? Um, obviously, the meditation um, in the morning and in the evening and throughout the day are a great way to reflect. Um, what are some actionable ways we can be doing that? You know, what are some checkpoints you can say like, well, hold up, like you just swore and that's not you. Right. Uh, what are some ways we can do that? So, mm-hmm. so first, it's really becoming familiar with the sensation that's happening in the body that so we are normally we normally have two core feelings that we feel it doesn't matter the context or the situation when we are about to default into our your default reactions so default reactions can be you get passive aggressive you lash out you dodge maybe you lie you make excuses um you walk away Right. And so there's two core feelings that we feel that create those reactions. 
So first it's getting familiar with what those feelings are so that you can, in the moment, you feel the sensation and you identify this is all happening while you're triggered, like while you're triggered, right? You are, you're saying things you don't mean. It's all coming out of your mouth. And then suddenly you realize, oh, wait a second, I'm feeling, I'm feeling invisible right now. I'm feeling misunderstood right now, right? So you know right away the feeling and that can detach you from the actual interaction. But when you are already in it and you notice that you're in it, your practice there is to stop and to declare what's happening. So you declare what's happening by saying, I am really upset right now. I am really frustrated right now. All of this is happening the way that it is because I am angry right now. I'm upset right now. And the minute that you say it, it will leave your body and it, the, the interaction itself will just almost as if it just evaporates, right? So it's handling it in the moment. And the other is when you notice that you are saying things you don't mean or you are out of alignment, it's the moment that you notice it is the beautiful moment, right? Like that's the choice point because when you notice it, you can either continue or you can choose a different direction. And so in the moment where you notice it, you can own it and say, this is not how I want this interaction to go. I really want to be helpful right now, but I'm having a really hard time. I need a few minutes and then I can come back to it, right? Handling it in the moment, declaring it in the moment and being able to have like a, it's almost like you need a touchstone when, before it happens. So you have something that grounds you. So it can be, you know, a ring that you have. It can be a bracelet, maybe a necklace. Um, sometimes I have students just make a fist that it, it grounds them so that it's taking you away from the emotion. It's disrupting the emotion pattern. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And, and I love that because there has been times where I've gotten heated and noticed that. And um, definitely through mindfulness and meditation and also just through being a, a good optimistic human, realizing that what you're saying is not what you're meaning to say. For me, it's it's breath that helps me the most. I think one thing that I want to pull from that, which has been something I've been studying a lot recently, is what you call the default reaction. And I've been really studying this recently because I've just been learning about how and why humans um, are the way they are. And a lot of the research shows that from ages zero to seven is when a uh, a human being is the most susceptible to um, learning and learning the ways in which they communicate, the ways in which um, they see things in the world. And then from what I've been studying, it's almost like anywhere from 85 to 90% of the decisions that you make after that age were heavily influenced by how you were raised at that age. Now that can be um, your parents fighting or your parents loving each other. 
It could be your how your nanny would hit you or how she would sh put you in a room when you weren't um, reacting or when you were daydreaming in class and your teacher would come slam their hand on your desk and you've always been taught that, well, you shouldn't be thinking outside the box because you should be in this way or whatever. Um, and I noticed after I've after I learned that, I noticed a lot of the ways in which I react to things were from that age of my life, um, whether that's the way in which my, my parents would argue or um, specific teachers and how I remember some of like the, the negativity from that, but then also the good things. Like I was raised to say please and thank you, and th that's not even a question. After someone does something nice to me, it's a thank you. I always hold the door for people, so there's so much positive that comes from it. But when we start to register that the default decisions or the default reactions aren't positive or are you're falling back into, I mean, the stats show that, you know, if your parents were divorced, you have a very higher chance of getting divorced um, as just an example. Mm -hmm. So what would be some ways to, I think, first of all, just register what your default reactions are. And then from there, come up with, are these good or are these not serving me? And then for the ones that aren't serving you, one of the things that we've always noticed, you mentioned meditation, is just like being consistent in some practice to register those and try to flush those out. So it's a kind of a long question, but how do you register your default reactions? And then how do you start to get away from the ones that don't serve you or others? So with the registering your default reactions, it comes back to paying attention, right? Your, your role really in this practice, first of all, what I, what I love about what you're saying is that it shows so clearly how communication is a learned practice in that most of us are not taught how to communicate, right? We absorb communication. And so we get a really beautiful uh, choice to begin to create the way that we want to communicate. And the first way to do that is to start paying attention to where we are now with our communication. So when you are in, uh, you know, difficult interactions, how are you reacting? Do you, do you notice that you are getting passive aggressive? Do you, you know, slam cupboard doors? I used to be the queen of passive aggressive behavior. I would slam cupboard doors. I would you know, shut the dishwasher too loudly. I stomp away, walk away, roll my eyes. I do all of the things. I'm the um, I'm the exaggerator. I, I, exaggerator. I you love exaggerating. I exa I mean, even when I'm, it's like on both ends of the spectrum. If I'm super pissed off, I exaggerate. If I'm super excited, I exaggerate. Like to the point where sometimes I'm catching myself. I'm like, dude, that was not even a real thing. Mm -hmm. But that's where it starts, right? That what you say, the catching myself. You just, you start to pay attention to it. And it's not about evaluating it as good or bad. It's yep. about simply noticing that it's there. Simply noticing, okay, I dropped, you know, I dropped a rubber band and it was like the most horrible thing I could have done, right? I'm so stupid. Why did I even do that, right? It's noticing something so simple and over and over and over again, just starting to notice again and again there it is again i'm being passive aggressive there it is i'm overreacting there it is i'm exaggerating yep there i go again right and you're starting to become friendly with the default reaction it's it's really just letting yourself be as you are right now by noticing it so that's how that's how you register it by 
seeing it it's like you are you know putting a magnifying glass a little bit to to how you're interacting and just starting to to pay attention to it and then when you notice that you're not reacting in the way that you want to first it's it's understanding how you want to interact right what what is it that you're feeling in that moment and if you know for me my my two feelings my two core feelings are i feel stupid or i feel invisible and so when i feel that i say okay here i am i'm feeling stupid right now what do i want to feel instead i want to feel capable right now i want to feel um you know confident right now okay if i want to feel that way then what specifically can i do in this moment to help myself feel that way well that means that you know i can get up and i can let the other person know that i need something from them right or that i am upset right now because right and so you start to instead of kind of dwelling in the default reaction it's there it is i notice it how can i you know how can i feel differently right now and what specifically does that look like yeah that's great when you are in a conversation with so what I love about what you're saying is that at the end of the day, and this is this is what Jason and I, I, we talk about this all the time. It's like you are always in the control seat. So it's always your reaction. It's always your emotion that you are in control of. There are definitely times where you are doing it all right. You're taking mindful pauses. You're not overreacting. But for some reason, the person on the other side just is not getting it. They are... They're not listening to you. This can be a child. Um, this can be somebody that works for you. This could be your boss. Um, this could be your spouse. This could be anybody. This could be your dog. They are, they're just not listening to what you're saying, right? And, and a lot of it has to come down to the fact that they aren't even close to beginning the journey that you speak about in your book um, and that we've talked about. They've never put any thought into this, right? They have just like we talked about, just inherited this communication style. And they think in their mind subconsciously that this communication style is the only way in which to communicate. And you are being mindful, you're being doing it. They don't listen and they don't hear you. And so you don't raise your voice, you continue to do it, but the conversation has to come to an apex or end. What are some strategies in, in, in the way in which you think that when that happens, as I mean, somebody like you, right, you're obviously extremely mindful of this. And there has to be times where you're talking to somebody and they just aren't getting what you're saying. What are some ways in which you either try to communicate to them better or ways in which maybe you end the conversation early? Like, what are your thoughts about that? Mm -hmm. So um, it's a that's a really great question. Um, the the big piece to remember and um when you say you know always in the control seat it's remembering your responsibility within a conversation and 
So your responsibility within a conversation is your words, your actions, your reactions, how you're using silence. The other person's responsibility is their words, their actions, their reactions, how they're using silence. And what you have in common is the health of the conversation. So once you start to notice that how you are interacting or what it is that you're needing or wanting is not getting through, that's when you come back to the health of the conversation. So you you either decide in that moment, is there another way that I can say this, right? Am I saying the same thing over and over and over again in the exact same way over and over and over again? Is there a way that I can be creative in terms of, I mean, with children, it's a bit different because you can get creative in turning it into um, play. You can turn it into humor, but you can also do that with adults as well, depending on your situation, right? But is there a way that you can make this funny? Is there a way that you can engage the person so it's more of a collaboration, more of um you know, bringing them into the mix as opposed to it being me and you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's the two of you together. Um, and then the other is understanding that, um, you know, sometimes you, you are going to express yourself in someone it's possible that they won't hear you or they're going to hear what they want to hear. And that's not your responsibility, right? So if that's what's happening, then it becomes very clear to you to decide in that moment whether you continue with this conversation or you don't. And if you don't, then, and it's not going in a helpful way, you can simply say, you know, the conversation's no longer helpful right now. I don't think it's um, supporting either of us we can, you know, we can just kind of end it for here from where we are and maybe come back to it tomorrow if we want to. Um, but if you start to see that there's no way through, then you don't want to fight with the wind, right? You want to allow things to, to be as they are. So you, you step back, right? And you find another way to begin the next time. Um, and I think it's also, um, it's also asking them different questions. So when we think of people not listening to us, it's rare that we're actually asking them questions in those moments. Oftentimes we're just telling or sharing. And so again, it kind of comes back to what I was saying with engaging them in what it is that you're interested in them hearing. So asking them questions about, well, what would be helpful to you? How can I make this easier for you? How can I make this um, something that would pique this person's interest for them to be engaged in? Like the switch in the um, which questions you ask, because I also think that people just respond to things different ways. Like it's almost like a way to sort of shake that person out of their line of thinking yes. like not on them instead of them always reacting to what you're doing. It's like just mm -hmm. answer the question with the question. Um, mm -hmm. I have a segue to how this changes when communication is digital. 
And obviously, this is a huge thing going on right now. Uh, we are currently doing this right now. Um, we love doing things in person. I think if we were to be self-reflective, Brett and I's communication skills in person with people um, are good. I think it's been an interesting, funny challenge to switch all of that over to digital, especially on the coaching side, when so much motivation is just being physically present for somebody, especially in a gym setting or in any type of athletic setting, um, because they can kind of feel that you're in that with them and then that gives them motivation to go. But with a screen in front of you, it is, it's a very different vibe. Um, how do you, if you do, coach people through some of these communication styles differently if the platform is digital? Like if they're speaking over the phone where, you know, I can't see when, you know, your shoulders kind of raise or when you lean in, like if you were about to say something, um, I can't see any body language changes. I can't see any eye rolls. Um, you know, how does that change when the communication goes digital? And maybe what are some of those different strategies that change when it is digital versus in person? So what's interesting is that it's the, the way that, so with this specific practice, it doesn't, really change that much the way that you're interacting from digital to in person what changes is more our thought process around what's happening right because we have more of an opportunity to be in our heads more when we're not able to see the other people the other people or engage in that way face to face and so there's more opportunity to get distracted And there's more opportunity to create stories in our minds about um, maybe what the other person is thinking or what we should be saying or what we aren't saying. There's more time. And so most of us don't know within interactions how to use that time in a way that's helpful, right? In a way, it just becomes a distraction that leads us um, to think more along the lines of, you know, what, what isn't happening or what someone's not doing, um, or what we're not doing. And so the change, the one piece that has to be there is making sure that it's concise and clear, right? So that when you're interacting over a digital platform, that it's really easy for the other person to understand what it is that you're asking for, what it is that you need from them and what it is that um, they can be doing because direction it's when you're face to face, you have a lot more. um, It's almost as if you can use a lot more cushion, like cushiony language to get to where you need to go. But when you're using a digital platform and everything right now, especially because there's everybody's online, everybody's getting tons and tons of emails, the easiest way to be effective and to be efficient is to just give what's needed because people are smart and people are busy and they want to get in and out of material pretty quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I like that the approach is the same. I think it, it is it is interesting to think about the way in which using 
language digitally can also help you in person to get rid of some of the cushier language Mm -hmm. and to use other things. What do you find are very common crutches for people and movement? We call them movement faults. Like, oh, this tends to happen over and over. Like, this is a fault for this pattern. What do you think people's faults are in conversational patterns or crutches or things that they default to, basically, um, that are not good? Mm-hmm. Or what's like a pet peeve of yours? Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> so, well, a pet peeve, I can answer that one easily. Um, a pet peeve of mine is when, when you are having a conversation with someone and you're telling them something very, very important and the next word out of their mouth is anyway, and then they move on to (laughs) another topic. And it's a pet peeve of mine because it is very clear that there's not a lot of listening going on. There's not a lot of holding space going on. Um, and so that's a, that's a pet peeve of mine, but I would say that that's actually one of the crutches, right, for people in that it's not, it's just not being conscious of what's coming out of our mouths, not really paying attention. Um, and so that's what really holds us back from all the possibility that is out there for us, right? all of the wonder that is out there for us, all the, um, the ease that is out there for us, because our language dictates how we live in the world. And so when we aren't conscious of it, we're letting it take us to where it wants to go. And so, so much of it is staying in the fear, right? And so fear is another big one that holds holds us back from expressing our wants and our needs because we're afraid of the other person's reaction potentially or how somebody else is going to respond. And I think that's another um, crutch is just the, the fear of how others will respond to us if we are able to really express ourselves authentically and in the way that we really want and need to. From a public speaking perspective, so... Jason and I do a lot of speaking. Um, we speak in corporate settings, in schools, um, via this. What are some, when you talk about like taking mindful breaks and pauses and vocabulary, what are some ways in which when you're communicating to an audience, so this is not one-on-one, say this is 50 to 2,000 people, what are some ways in which you coach or practice with people that communicate a lot like this? to make sure that your message is getting across without being able to necessarily see the reaction. Um, Because if you have 100 people in the audience, of course, 25 people are going to be on their cell phone, 10 people are going to be daydreaming, 20 people are going to be looking at you eye to eye, and then the rest are going to be kind of floating. How do you make sure that your message is getting across? What are some tactics that can be used in the public speaking space? It really, in terms of what you can use, it's the listening to others aspect of the practice, part of the practice, is really what you're going to be focusing on. It it doesn't sound 
like the the piece that you would think, right? You'd think you'd really focus on speaking, but it's really about knowing who it is that you're connecting with on a real personal level in the sense of you know who the person is that you're talking to. So first you have to really understand them and what it is that they're needing and what it is that they're wanting and why it is that they're showing up and why it is that they are here to listen to you. What is it that you're helping them solve? What problem is it that you're helping them solve? And that's really where you first start because that's that's how you then know what what to speak to and how to engage them. Um, and so it really begins with listening to kind of the composite of your audience. And then from there, once you have a real sense of, you know, the person that you are kind of creating so that you know that you're speaking to them directly, then everything kind of filters through, okay, well, how can I connect with this one person? I tell personal stories. I show how, um, you know, how, depending on what it is that you're speaking to, but you show your humanness, right? You show um, what it is that people can connect with you on so that they see you as the same because the minute that we're we all see each other differently is the minute where we get distracted or the minute we don't feel connected and so it's really important to start thinking of you know the way that you're interacting so that you can start to speak directly to to where people are at. Yeah, I love that. I think that I was just going through different speaking engagements that Jason and I have had in my head and just making sure that I was connecting with people and seeing where they were at and we're the same. I think it's it, it, that's something that Jason and I always, always try to stress is that whenever we're on a retreat or in a corporate engagement, and, and luckily Jason and I had started our careers in the corporate world, so we always are able to kind of use that to connect to people. Um, and so I think it's, it's extremely important. And that's like one of the things that we try to do with people is not only be, we always say like, we're not just the coach, but we're also the athlete. So like when we're training a client, Jason and I are also pursuing our own athletic feats so that we're like toe to toe with these people. It's like, you're trying to run your first 5k. I'm trying to do this and we're working, you know, we're all working together. And so I think that that commonality, um, is something that is, is of super importance yeah. Um, couple of final questions. I think this has been, I mean, I'm just like so thankful for, for this conversation because I've just learned so much. Um, so reflective. Yeah, it's so reflective. It's like a, you're giving us a coaching session while we're here. Um, let's, let's talk about your book. Um, so How to Communicate Like a Buddhist is the, the way in which we found you. you. You've definitely gone through a lot of the book here one of the highlights for me on the book was something you said earlier just about it being concise um that was something i i I took from it it was like there wasn't any fluff it was like i read it and i was like this is a book in which i'm gonna go take action on tonight 
Um, so give us a little bit of a download on exactly what's in the book, and then let's talk about the, the next book that's coming out too. Yeah, so How to Communicate Like a Buddhist, it really it teaches you the practice of speaking in a kind, honest, and hopeful way, and it goes through the process of listening to yourself, listening to others, speaking consciously, clearly, and concisely, using silence and meditation. And it is really designed to help people start implementing the practice now, changing the way that they're interacting now so that they can really begin to see just what, you know, what shifts and what changes do happen from making really kind of small, um, you know, smaller changes in day-to-day interactions. And it is, it is really, like you said, there's no fluff in there uh, because it's really important to get the message across to be able to just say what it is that needs to be said so that the attention is on what can be done. So that's really, in a nutshell, that's how to communicate like a Buddhist. It um, <laughs> teaches it. you how to um, relieve your own suffering and that of others through your language. Necessity of it. That's my favorite part. Is just, is what you're saying necessary? Mm-hmm. You just talk so much unnecessarily so many words are unnecessary and sometimes i think people need to be have fears assuage or whatever we need to you know massage some emotions sometimes Mm -hmm. but overall less is more for Mm -hmm. sure because we just crowd it with unnecessary small talk and statements it just is is and and i i am a big fan of exchanging pleasantries Mm-hmm. and especially the exchange of manners. Sprett talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. But in between, people just say, say stuff that doesn't make sense. It's just so funny. If you reflect back on most of the conversations you have in elevators, standing in line with people, it's just a smile would do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it's, you know, to know when it's necessary to say something and when it's not necessary to say something is something to start thinking about, right? How your language is actually affecting you. Is it creating uh, an easier day for you? Is it creating an easier day for somebody else? Is it not? Um, we, we can really pare down our language and it makes it easier to understand. It just, vague language just adds so much confusion. Yeah, I you'll like this. The way that I describe the benefit of meditation to people that don't understand is imagine you are standing in the street or on a sidewalk or whatever with a bunch of your friends and everybody starts to get into an argument that is completely unnecessary Mm -hmm. that you have nothing to do with pretend meditation is just your ability to stand back and watch it happen and not get involved that's beautiful (laughs) hopping in getting involved, taking things personally, throwing out things that are emotional when you never had anything to do with what was being argued about in the first place. I'm like, just pretend meditation is like taking a step back, putting on headphones and smiling and watching everyone yell at each other on mute. (laughs) (laughs) That is it. Um, I I have one other question and then we'll, we'll go into how to meditate like a Buddhist. So talked about, we talked about relating. So, What's one of the things, 
as someone that has written now three books on on this, what's one of the things that you 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 continue to struggle with? Um, I think. Um, or find yourself when you're in a conversation saying like, I have found I am here again. So for me, I, I'm constantly, I mean, it's a constant, you know, it's a consistent practice. Yep. Um, so where I normally default is um, to playing the victim or becoming passive aggressive. And so for me, it's when I start to notice that, those, that's the emotion that's coming up within me. You know, that's when I really start to ask myself questions and to go through the practice of, you know, identifying, okay, what is it that I am needing in this moment? What is it that I um, have to advocate for for myself so that I feel better? And um, the other in is, um, you know judgments because it's not about it's not saying that you're never going to judge again but it's more that you don't act on your judgments so for me it's just a constant practice of um noticing my the judgments of myself and judgments of others right and noticing but not acting on them yeah that's good because i think a lot of people feel the same way um, in your book that is coming out, um, How to Meditate Like a Buddhist, can you give us a sneak preview of sure. of what you're going to dive into there? I can't wait for it. I've, I've been really focusing on meditation recently, being very consistent with it. So I'm just excited to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's, um, it's really kind of your go-to guide for what is meditation, how to do it, um, you know, the benefits and really finding the, the di- you know, because there are so many different types of meditations. So uh, figuring out which type of meditation is best for you. And it's really designed to just drill it down to, to the basics so that you can begin to practice. So in there, there's also um, meditation challenges that I have set up in a little in-home retreat that you could do as well. So it's it's showing you also what obstacles you might come up against when you start to meditate and what's going to try to draw you away from it. But eventually just feeling the benefits and starting to really feel the changes, right. To be in that street and see everybody fighting and you just being like, Hey, I'm just going to walk slowly with my headphones on, (laughs) you know, then you'll want to continue to do it. So, um, so yeah, it's really, uh, there for you to, start to just get curious about and see if it's a practice that is of interest. I love that. Um, One of the things that Jason and I practice is our daily intention, which is to have the best day ever every single day. And our thought process there is similar to what you've been saying is that we choose our reaction. So when the friends are fighting on the street, you take a step back and you say, I am just grateful that I have friends. Um, I'm, uh, you know, and it's always an opportunity to make things better. And we're so blessed every day with so many good things that if we can hang our hat on those and be optimistic about what's coming and understanding that um, we are in control of our thoughts and our feelings, we can have the best day ever every day. So we'd love to ask everybody on the podcast and uh, you can get 
you get as deep on this as you want, but if you could wake up tomorrow and do anything in any climate, uh, you're allowed to travel again. You can do whatever you want. Uh, yeah, you could do anything. Uh, what does your best day ever look like? My best day ever would look like waking up, opening my windows, my like blinds, seeing the sunshine, seeing beautiful trees, and hearing the sounds of my children and getting to say hi to my husband, giving him hugs and kisses. I, I mean, honestly, it would probably be what my day is today, even though we're in quarantine in this moment. Um, you know, just being able to spend time with my family, be outside in nature, um, talk to my students and share this practice to help people start to enjoy and live their best days and their best lives. And, um, and yeah, to really have conversations that continue to help people, you know, live into the type of communicator they want to be. That's beautiful. Uh, Jason and I want to just say thanks for spending some time um, with us for talking about communication, talking about meditation, talking about what you do, uh, where can our listeners find more about you and find your books? Yeah, so you can find me at Cynthia Kane, K-A-N-E dot com. You can find me on Instagram at C-Y-K-A-N-E one. And my books, um, Amazon is a good place. Any bookstore has them as well. Um, how to communicate like a Buddhist, talk to yourself like a Buddhist, and then how to meditate like a Buddhist. Awesome. Is there any um, final words of either advice, affirmation, or anything you'd want to say to the listeners? I would just say that your words are valuable and what you have to say is necessary. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. It's been a huge pleasure. I just love the the way in which the universe conspired for us to meet um, and we wish you the best day ever. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I really am, you know, so, well, so grateful for Sarah. Thank you. For <laughs> yeah. Sarah. And, um, also just with what you guys are, are doing in the world, I think it's wonderful work and I, I'm happy to be, be a part of it and excited to watch you guys continue to grow and reach all those who are in need.